sky so bright, just like raindrops in the window pane. When your eyes are blue, something's wrong with you. Let me kiss the love light back again. Brown eyes, why are you blue? Brown eyes, what can I? Hello, welcome to the American Writers. 100 Pages at a Time podcast. So in this episode, I'd like to uh, finish up my thoughts about Elmer Gantry um, and give you some of my thoughts about the final quarter or so of, of the book. So we've been following Elmer Gantry throughout his whole career from college to, uh, to uh, his rise in um, first uh, the Baptist church, but his quick... Uh, decline out of that then he gets involved in new thought religion and uh kind of mysticism and spirituality faith healing and all that kind of like the the dark side of american religion if you will um and he explores all that and then in uh the part we talked about in the last episode he is recruited essentially by the methodists he can he converts to methodism and he becomes a rising star in methodism largely through um his oratory skills, right? So I want to give you some of my overall thoughts about Elmer Gantry before I talk about some of the details in the final part of the book. Uh, I think this is a satirical novel, obviously, and it's meant to lampoon American religion. And I think, you know, I think Aerosmith gave a very, very good systemic critique of the way medicine is politicized and the contradictions in, in medicine. He really did a good job showing how medicine is often corrupted by politics or corrupted by the by money, right? The tension between being a, a, a practicing doctor, you know, to make a paycheck, the pressure between, especially with public health. I think he did a really good job of talk, talking about how societies overact, overall interact with medicine, right? Um, Elmer Gantry is on the surface trying to do the same thing with religion and the narratives are very similar. You have someone starting out in college, moving their way up through their professions. And this novel ends with them, you know, kind of at the peak of their profession right now, Aerosmith's big crisis was a plague that kills his wife uh, in a plague where he's able to help actually contribute to this, to the, to the solving of that crisis. Um, so he kind of ends on a high note. Elmer Gantry, his final, his big breakthrough, as we'll see in this episode, is is a scandal, a sex scandal, right? Um, and it's it's kind of much more farcical to, uh, compared to that. But I think what Elmer Gantry lacks that Errol Smith had was that systemic critique. I think there's uh, what we have is the hypocrisy of one person. We have the hypocrisy of Elmer Gantry. Uh, we, and he's not even that horrible of a person. He's girl crazy, and he, fall, he 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 chases girls, and yeah, he cheats on his wife, and he's hypocritical in terms of sexual morality, and that's there. But he doesn't really get at. I mean, Lewis here doesn't really get at the problem of religion in American life. Outside of that, it's a bit hypocritical. But what is it? Right? It's commercialized. It's a it's extension of of Commerce, which is the same point he made about about medicine and science, but I think he did a better job in that novel of actually making it like thoroughly corrupted, and how difficult it is to navigate being a good scientist in a profession that's so corrupted. In Elmer Gantry, we have a character. Um, what's his name? Frank. 
Frank, the good preacher, the good preacher who becomes a foil for Elmer Gantry towards the end of the novel. He's actually introduced in a chapter where we looked at last time. He falls not because of the inability of a good preacher to survive in in the American religious climate. He falls because basically Elmer Gantry screws him over. Um, so it's very, it ends up being a very personal thing. And I think that shows that Sinclair Lewis doesn't quite have a systemic critique of religion to the same degree. I think he had one of medicine. And I don't know if that's, I guess that's fine. It, it does work as a satirical novel. But at the end of the day, all we can only say is that Elmer Gantry is, is a hypocrite and a sinner. And he, present, he presents himself not that way. Right. But that's probably true of many preachers. And it's not that problematic, I think, for most believers. I don't even think it makes him a bad preacher. In fact, he seems to be a very good preacher um, and quite effective. Um, I think where the novel does kind of get at this quite effectively is where we see Elmer Gantry very cynically getting involved in moral reform campaigns. So there's a bit of a lampooning of progressivism, especially the religious side of the progressive movement, which pushed for things like moral, like temperance and moral reform and cleaning up the cities and, and, and all that kind of stuff. That... But at the same time, we see that his, his, I guess this is the problem. Elmer Gantry's hypocrisy and personal failures don't make him any less effective at doing that. But we see in Aerosmith how these contradictions actually get in the way of good medicine, right? So it's, it's, a, it's a systemic problem for medicine that it's corrupted. It's not a systemic problem for religion that it's corrupted. It, it actually seems to contribute to success. Everywhere, El Elmer Gantry is successful. He's, um, Aerosmith is much more often a failure. Um, and yeah, I guess Elmer Gantry has his setbacks. But at the end of the day, he's largely an effective preacher who built churches largely through pushing this moral reform thing. And he ends up victorious. And I don't know if anyone's that worse off. I mean, there are a few characters like Lulu. The woman he ends up abandoning and she comes back into his life and he has to break her heart again. His wife is ends up kind of miserable. And that Frank guy, I mean, there's individuals who kind of get cast aside and are used by Elmer Gantry. But you don't have the deep tragedy you have like in the choice. Do we like if I want to be a good scientist, this is the problem in Aerosmith. If I want to be a good scientist, I might have to put half of this village at risk of dying of a plague. Right. Um, but that's the only way to fulfill my scientific duty. <clears throat> if I do the moral thing, I'm comprom I'm compromised as a science and it may cost more lives at the end. And, and that's this deep moral dilemma he had that conflicted with science. I don't think that's a case here in Elmer Gantry. I think this is just the way religion always tends to be. Um, I don't think Elmer Gantry is that unique or distinctive of a character. Uh, maybe his banality is is part of what makes this novel attractive. But anyways, that's my thoughts. That's my overall thoughts about this this novel. I do think it's good. I enjoyed reading it, but I, I think it's it's not like a book I, I feel need to come back to the way I do feel that way with Aerosmith. Um, so let me just quickly go through the rest of the novel, the plot, give you some of the highlights and give you some of my thoughts about uh, what remains in this story. Um, where we left off, he got this position in Zenith. So he's able to return to Zenith, um, which is close to where that former girlfriend Lulu lived. She was in the countryside. But he's able to kind of get into Zenith. That's a, it's a, four, a town of 400,000 people with a big congregation that he can grow. And he can do something in Zenith. 
politically with his moral reform movements. It can be he even hopes at the end of the day he can maybe rise to have an even bigger church like in New York or Chicago or become a bishop in the Methodist church. But he's also in a bigger, he's in a bigger, um, he's got a bigger platform. So he also gets more attention and he gets rivals and he gets competition of other preachers. And he could always be in these smaller towns. He could always be the, you know, the, the big fish in the, in the small pond. And once he gets to Zenith, he's a small fish in a big pond or at least a medium sized fish in a, in a big pond, you know, with some fame, with some credit to some achievements under his belt to carry with him into Zenith, but he's still competing with people who really know their thing and can see through him. So that's a big challenge in this later half. He achieves through that. He achieves in spite of that, um, some successes, but he's still, that's his biggest challenge. I think is that people aren't, aren't in this, in this larger milieu are not so easily deluded by his sweet talking and his just his words. Um, and he really has this desire to stand out in the community and he, he, he's not as successful as he was in these smaller towns. Um, but where he does find the, the name for himself is ultimately in moral reform. So I'm not going to do the chapter by chapter reading I normally do here. I'm just going to kind of go through the, the highlights at the end of the story. Um, and I'll get to the moral reform in a second. Um, but he's also has to be social, right? All preachers do, but his sociality also brings him into connection with people from his past a lot more, such as, uh, uh, Lulu and Floyd, her, her husband, right? So this is the woman he left abandoned earlier in the story after sleeping with her. And after being done with her, he abandons her and basically he gets out of a shotgun marriage by getting her to marry Floyd. But this is, seems to be a loveless marriage and she still has the hots for Elmore and Elmer and Elmer takes advantage of this and actually um, um, even though he's married at this point but he's already found his wife to be sexually uninteresting and un uninterested in sex so he's facing the prospect of a sexless marriage and a person like Elmer Gantry is not going to be able to survive that so he quickly uh, goes back to girl chasing and Lulu returns so and she's still attracted to him so there's a return of that of that relationship temporarily. Um, and he actually thinks about sexual morality a little bit. He reflects on it a little bit in interesting ways. Um, we get this little reflection of, of him, um, how he justifies this, I guess. That's what I'm thinking about. Um, like many famous lovers in many ages, they found refuge in the church. Lulu was an admirable cook. And while in her new life in Zenith, she had never reached out for such urban opportunities as lectures or concerts or literary clubs. She had, by some obscure ambitiousness, some notion of a shop in her own, been stirred to attend a cooking school and learn salads and pastries and canapes. Elmer was able to give her a weekly Tuesday evening cooking class to teach at Wellspring and even get her out of the trustees for her salary of $5 a week. The cooking class was over at 10. By the time the rest of the church was cleared, Elmer had decided that Tuesday evening would be a desirable time for reading in his church office. Cleo had many small activities in the church, clubs, Epsworth League, fancy work, but none on Tuesday evening. Before Lulu came stumbling through the quiet church basement, the dark and musty corridor, before she tapped timidly at the door, he would be walking up and down, and when he held out his arms, she flew into them unreasoningly. He had a new contentment. I'm not really a bad fellow. I don't go chasing after women. Oh, that fool woman at the hotel didn't count. Not that I, not now that I got Lulu. 
Cleo was never married to me. She doesn't matter. I like to be good. If I had been married to someone like Sharon, oh God, Sharon, I am untrue to her? No. Dear Lulu, sweet kid, I owe something to her too. I wonder if I could get to see her Saturday. A new contentment he had, an explosive success. End quote. Now, hypocritical, sure. He's, he's justifying his own sex addiction, I guess. I, I don't really believe in sex addiction, but if you want to say he's a sex addict, he doesn't really, I mean, he's not like going after girls every night. He, he, he's a serial monogamist. And he's not even, I mean, I guess he cheats sometimes, but he's not really sleeping with his wife, right? So he finds outlets elsewhere, but he's not, he's not bad by him. I think modern standards, he's not like a total rake. Um, but I guess he's supposed to be pristine as a preacher, but I don't know where that, that's kind of a, I guess a too high of a, of a standard, I suppose. I'm not as bothered by his sexual indiscretions as maybe other readers or readers at the time would have been. Um, I think there's a lot of worse things he does, um, at least a few worse things he does, but even that's not unforgivable, I think, in a sense. It doesn't, it doesn't, it's not enough to discredit all of American religion. I guess that's what I'm getting at. You know, Errol Smith's story does such a good job of exposing the hypocrisy and the deep fundamental problem in, in medicine, like existential problems in medicine. I don't think Elmer Gantry, if you read it, would convince anyone to stop being religious or something or to turn their back on their church. It's just, you know, it, the story is people need to be better and, and more ethical and more honest about who they are. And, and I think that's a good thing, but, you know, it's not like this part of American life is destabilized by this now. I guess that's what I think. All right. Um, so anyways, uh, as, as the novel works on, he really gets involved. He develops his relationship with Lulu and he really gets involved in cleaning up Zenith. And he does this through these raids on red light districts, uh, you know, raiding working class communities, preying on them, working with the police to do like sting operations um, to clean up Zenith. So he really embraces this moral crusade, heart and soul. Um, and he usually like gets some criminals sent to court, you know, to court and prosecuted for that through his working with the police. But he becomes very active in these moral reform efforts and in the social milieu. And here's one thing I think we can't forgive Elmar Gantry for is how this leads him to be kind of cuddly with the Klan. Um, now, we don't have any evidence that he's an anti-racist or he's being a hypocrite here. We actually don't get much about Elmar Gantry's views on race at all in this book. I don't think it's ever come up before. And I don't remember Aerosmith having too much on race either, except a few lines when Martin Aerosmith was in the West Indies. Um, but here we do have the Klan emerging in Zenith as well, which, of course, in the 20s was becoming a much more urban, much more national, not just a southern group, but but in places like Zenith, even though Zenith is made up. But places like that were becoming hotbeds of Klan activity as you got this reaction to urbanization, reaction to immigration and things like that. Uh, quote, many of the most worthy Methodist and Baptist clergymen supported it and were supported by it. And personally, Elmer admired its principle to keep all foreigners, Jews, Catholics, and Negroes in their place, which was no place at all, and let the country be led by native Protestants like Elmer Gantry. Um, I read this that he's not like a heart, like a racism isn't in his blood so much as it's practical, right? It's like he's just going to go along with this because it can help his own position and help American Protestantism keep maintain its position of dominance, which will, of course, benefit him. I think he's, he's an opportunist, obviously, but, you know. It's not like the worst guy in American history. Um, 
he's not even like presented he's not a clan member right he's just someone who is kind of accepting the, the presence of the clan he targets prostitutes drinking establishments pushes temperance does it and condones the clan i think that's the point sinclair lewis is making here and it's a good point i guess but anyways um all right now we get the reintroduction of frank shouter to the story and he's a he's a preacher who doubts who reflects a lot who thinks a lot about what he's done and his belief and he's how does he run into conflict with elmer gantry well it's because he questions the zealousness of moral reform he, he thinks he takes a more i think catholic view i guess that kind of sin is 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 something we need to be honest about and, and try to prevent but it's something that can't be purged we can't live a perfect life right in fact there's a passage earlier in the novel where elmer gantry is asked about perfectionism and, and he says obviously you know humans can be perfected um which i think is something that you saw in protestant christianity at the time is this desire for uh, redemption and, and moral improvement and and that's it's kind of runs short american protestantism all along right even in the antebellum period the second great awakening where i have this push how can we reform americans soul right get rid of slavery get rid of prostitution and and move this towards perfection while you know other strains of religion are just a little bit more i guess accepting of human failings right maybe a little bit more of an augustinian uh not love for sin but a, a realization that sin is unavoidable um and frank shallard is one of these people right um so um he criticizes elmer's style uh in this part of the novel and frank eventually emerges as kind of a counter as a contrary voice to elmer in zenith and not because he really wants to he just it's, he's not an ambitious person he's a very he's he's the opposite of of Elmer Gantry in almost every way, the mirror image of him, maybe. Um, but Elmer eventually goes after him, and he works behind the scenes to to get him basically pushed out. And publicly, and, and when he converses with Frank Shallard, he pretends to be his friend and want to support him, and he pretends to be outraged at basically him getting purged. Um, but he was really behind it. So this is like the worst thing I think Elmer Gantry does in the novel is destroys this guy's career. Um, but it really is largely, it's not really personal. It's just that he's a threat uh, to Elmer Gantry's much more radical moral reform efforts. So, anyways, um, Elmer Gantry, uh, well, there's one little fun little vignette where he meets his mother. And there's another fun little vignette where he meets Jim Le Lefferts, who is his friend from college, the one who abandoned him, the one who embraced Thomas Paine. Uh, and was always the critic of the of the leadership of the school that they the religious school that they studied at um, but he finally runs meets him and so that's another advantage of being in the big town is these people can kind of learn about him and check up on him right and he never sees him again though he finds nothing of value in omar gantry anymore so it's kind of sad it's like you you meet your old friend and you have a lunch together your dinner together you talk for a while and then you never see each other again because you both realize, you know, there's where you are in life doesn't you don't need that connection anymore, that relationship. So that's kind of sad. And he kind of has a similar issue with his mother, unfortunately. 
Um, but he starts getting a kind of an interesting idea where he says, maybe we can start having a single global moral reform society, right? Take these national reform societies and local reform societies and morph them into an international moral reform society, clean up the whole world, right? It's pretty ambitious. It's pretty crazy, but it shows Elmer Gantry, his ambition and, and how he feels that this effort to reform society can be pushed. Now, I think in the progressive era, there are there's a global component to it. I don't know as much about it, but I'm sure some historians have have written about it. I've I've heard some papers about things about some of the labor movements and how they tried to conceive of themselves as globally, how some of these churches were acting globally. So I think there's something to that. But that's maybe one of the more interesting things in the whole novel is this goal. Um, Now, but before this can really take off, he's still succeeding in his various pushing moral reform societies. But he has his last, at least as far as the novel is concerned, sexual indiscretion. And that's with his secretary, Hetty. Um, And it becomes a scandal. It gets revealed. So she's married. And so the husband eventually wants to divorce her and sues Elmer Gantry for... uh, alienation of affection i think that's the law right i don't know if those are still in the books maybe you can still be sued for that but you know it's basically you're being sued for seducing someone else's spouse and alienating their affections from them right so uh that's what happens to elmer gantry and he's then forced to like this becomes public this is threatened to be public if he doesn't pay up money he doesn't have and so he gets a lawyer and they work it out and he kind of escapes by the skin of his teeth. He had he kind of in front of the lawyers basically withdraws her statements at the end, sides with Elmer Gantry, sides with her religious leader. I mean, again, we're reminded of how powerful Elmer Gantry is as a speaker, as a person, as a person in the lives of these characters. He's really, really a powerful figure. And that saves him at the end. And then, but it's already been kind of exposed in the newspaper, so it's already become a public scandal. And then that's when we get uh, the final scene in the book is Elmer Gantry giving a sermon where he asks the crowd to, do you believe me or do you believe these filthy newspapers? It's very much like a Trump moment almost. And the crowd says, the congregation says, you know, we believe in you. And so he ends really on a high note. He ends successful and having achieved... uh, some distinction in his career and it, and it looks sounds like his career is going to move forward swimmingly despite his um you know it seems he's going to get away with it all right if you want to take that really hostile view of him he's going to get away with it with everything um all right so that's it i've already given my overall feels about elmer gantry and why i think it's not quite as effective as aerosmith um, and now we're going to talk about, in the next few three episodes, we're going to study Dogsworth. Um, Dogsworth is about a billionaire, millionaire, I guess now it would be a billionaire, uh, car, own, car company owner who gets bought out and decides to take a long vacation with his wife, his much younger wife, like nine years younger, wife to uh, Europe. And then we see there, this becomes a way to contrast Europe and America. So that, this, this novel is going to be a nice feed-in. I think, to my next series, which will be Henry James. We'll look at a handful of Henry James' early novels. Um, five of them, in, in, in fact. One volume of the Library of America has five of his early novels. Um, and so many of them deal with this question of the American in Europe, 
whether you're an American or the, the contrast between these, these two areas. And I think Dogsworth, although written later, kind of builds off these themes in, in quite interesting ways. So um, I've started reading it and I'm enjoying it. So I'm going to look forward to talking uh, about uh, Dogsworth over, you know, uh, an hour or two in future episodes. So uh, thanks. Thanks, as always, for listening and give me your thoughts about Elmore Gantry. If you've read it, if you've seen the movie, let me know what you think of that. And um, I'll see you next time. See you then. That's when they begin Disappearing like the April snow Brown eyes, why are you blue? Brown eyes, what can I do? Don't keep the sunshine off of your eyes. Say if you are wise.